Lord, we just come before you. We ask you to bless this time as we look at this section of Scripture, that you will show us what you would like us to see from it and how it applies to our lives. We ask you just to let your Holy Spirit flow freely and, and guide us. In your Son's name, amen. Ezekiel chapter 20, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass in the seventh year of the fifth month of the tenth day of the month that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. Then came the word of the Lord unto me, saying, Son of man, speak unto the elders of Israel, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Are you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Cause them to know the abomination of their fathers, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, In the day when I chose Israel, and lifted up my hand unto the seed of the house of Jacob, and unto, to make myself known unto them in the land of Egypt, when I lifted up my hand unto them, saying, I am the Lord your God. In, that, in the day that I lifted up my hand unto them, to bring them forth of the land of Egypt, unto a land that I espied for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Then said I unto them, Cast you away every man his abominations for, of his eyes, and defile not yourself with the idols of, of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me, and would not hearken unto me, but did every man cast, and they did not every man cast out the abominations of their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then said I, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted before the heathen among whom you were, in whose sight I made myself known unto them in the bringing them forth in the, in, out of the land of Egypt. Wherefore I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if any man do, he shall live live in them. Moreover, I also I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They, they walked not in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live even in them. And my Sabbath they greatly polluted. Then I said I, I will pour out my fury upon them in the wilderness to consume them. I'm going to stop there because we go into another statement there. So we're going to stop and discuss this because there's a lot here. <laughs> Verse 1, and, in, and it came to pass in the seventh year, in the month, in the fifth month, in the tenth day of the year, certain elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord before me. This is a time reference that gives us a key as to what was going on because if you look in, in 2 Chronicles 23, 1, you're going to see that the king is getting ready to rebel. <laughs> so it, it gives us a time reference. It's still, there's still a kingdom of Israel. The, the first and second wave of, of captives have been taken. The first wave of captives have been taken. And the king is getting ready to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what this time frame is getting us into. This tells us that this is one of the ways we know that Ezekiel prophesies at the same time that Jeremiah prophesies. Ezekiel is in Babylon and Jeremiah is preaching in Jerusalem. All right, just to give you the history where we're at, because he's going to give us some history lessons, but we're going to say where we're at right this moment. And uh, we're, we're trying to help build this connection between everything and how it all flows. And the, 
it says, Certain of the elders came to inquire before the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak unto the elders of Israel, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Are you come to inquire me, inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord, I will not be inquired of by you. So he's coming back. The people are coming. They finally decide they want to talk to God and get God's opinion about things. And God is saying, there's no way I'm going to talk to you. You've been so disobedient. You're not following me. I'm not talking to you. This is kind of harsh, but it goes to the fact that if people are not going to repent of their sins and turn wholeheartedly to God, God will just ignore them. God is under no obligation to hear anybody's prayers when they're not honoring him. Okay, he's really under no obligation if we do, but he promises us he will hear our voice when we, when we come to him. But if somebody is wanting to live the wrong lifestyle and come before God, he's, their words are going to fall on a deaf ear because God is waiting for them to repent. And this is what it's true. And I don't know if you've ever been there where you're just, you're, you're, you seem like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling because you have something between you and God and you just won't repent. David went through this after, the, after he killed Uriah or arranged for Uriah to get killed. He went for well over nine months and probably closer to a year without repenting and God did not hear his voice until Nathan came in and, and gave him the story that made him get angry about it and say Nathan says you are the man and he finally repents and been there and I've done that myself where it just seems like everything is going the wrong way and God just doesn't hear and basically he does the same thing you 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 want to live in the world you want to live according to the world's ways then fine go to your gods don't come to me when you get trouble when you're not following me go to your own Go to the gods that you've been worshiping. That's what he's going to say in this, basically. Go to the gods that you've been worshiping. Don't come to me just because you need me or you think you need me. I'm not, and he's basically saying, you know, I'm not a genie in the bottle. You don't come to me whenever you need me. You come to me all the time or I'll just ignore you. Because God has great power. He will give us great blessings and he will deliver us. He will give us peace and he will guide us through hard times. But not if we're ignoring him. Yes. He's everywhere, so he's going to hear the prayer. Re in reality, he hears it, but he's going to ignore it, so he's not going to act upon it. Oh, sure, it happens all the time. If somebody who claims, especially those who claim to be a Christian, whether between them and God, but if they claim to be a Christian and they're living in the lifestyle of the world and not being repentant, I don't believe that God's hearing them. He's going to let them fall flat on their face, drag them, drag through the mud a little while until they finally either get so bad he takes them home because they won't repent or they repent and he, and he brings them back to him. Even as a Christian, I mean, there's, there's, it's almost impossible not to live in the world of some, some influence. The world has some influence on me. Depends on time you're spending with God. Yes, the world is always going to influence us, but the more we're spending time in prayer, worshiping God, reading his word, changing the way we think to be godly and biblical, the less the world's influence is going to be on us. Will it never get to the place where it will never influence us? No. But if you find yourself going, well, God, I know you say this, but 
you've got a problem. You're living according to the world standard. Talking to an individual that was going to this church and the pastor's adamantly against taking out a loan for a building. But the church voted to take a loan out. This pastor's been there for over 10 years teaching them about the, God's word and the importance of God's word. And when they think that God's not answering it the way they think, they go to the world's wisdom and say, God, we don't care what you say. We're going to do it our way. Because this is what the world tells us. We want to get this done. It has to be a very sad thing for this pastor because it's, he's taught and taught and taught and taught that God's word is true. And then when it comes down to where the rubber hits the road, they go, oh God, we don't think you're true. We're going to do it our way. We're going to do it the way the world says. We do this kind of stuff all the time. Basically, we're saying, God, if you just knew my situation, you'd realize how the world's way is better than your way. Because of all my situations, and we won't be quite that blunt, but really, isn't that what we're saying? God, I know what your word says, but if you knew everything I was going through, if you knew everything I was going through, you'd realize that it's just not going to work. I have to do it the way the world does it. We've got to be careful about that attitude. And we've got to, and this is why I keep bringing up Dr. McGee's, where, the, where I and God disagree, God is right. You know, where the, where the Bible is, dis, and I disagree, the Bible is right. No matter what I think my circumstances say about it, God is right. And here God is saying, hey, you guys walked away from me. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want you coming to me just because, just because you're, you're in a hard place that you can't get out of and you think I'm the only way. I've always been your only way, so I'm not listening to you until you're ready to repent. And this happens all the time for us in our day even. God is going to say, you know, if you don't want to repent, you don't, he's not going to help us out of the situation. Why? Because he wants us bouncing off the bottom until we finally decide I've had enough bouncing off the bottom and I want to repent and turn to you, God. These elders were not coming to him in a repentant heart. They were coming just, you know, Give us good, good advice. God, God's powerful. He knows what he's doing. And, but they weren't ready to say, oh, we're going we're gonna to serve him. We're going to serve him in all the ways that we can. And uh, so God says, I'm not going to be inquired by you. I'm not, I'm not going to have you ask. Then he turns to Ezekiel and says, will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Cause them to know their abominations of their fa father's. And this is, this uh, judge is to act as lawgiver or to decide, decide a, a controversy between God and man. And no here is declare. He's basically saying declare to them their abominations. And abomination is a really strong word. It is a word that is more than just dirty or filthy, which sin is. But we really need to understand that when we are living in our sin, it is an abomination to God. An abomination is something that makes you sick. And when you see it, it's just so bad, it makes you sick. In our day and age, we're getting away from this idea of things being an abomination. Why? Well, bluntly, we see too much of it on television. We see murders all the time. We see adulteries all the time. We see homosexuality all the time. We see all these sins placed in front of us and because we see them so often, we stop seeing them as the abomination that God sees them. We need to be really seeking God and say, God, help me see things as you see them. But see, we don't have to watch that stuff. If people stopped watching that stuff, then they wouldn't make it. And it's a shame how many Christians watch all the stuff that shouldn't be watched. The, our country says that it's some 70, 80% Christian. 
And yet, they're not living like Christians in the stuff they watch and do. Because if they did, TV would have 80% of the people not watching it, and it wouldn't produce the stuff that nobody wants, that would be anti-God. They're either not Christians or they're not living like Christians, and probably both. But God says, you know, hey, you know, you, we need to know our abominations. We need to see things as an abomination. Homosexuality is so prevalent in our world that even many Christians don't see it as an abomination before God because so many people accept it and it's in front of us. There's nothing really to watch anymore because it makes me sick because I see it as the abomination. And the adultery and fornication, again, if, if this country is as large a Christian population as they say, and it, and it isn't, I'll say that straight up. It is not what people think. They, they're Christian because they live in America. They've gone, to a, they've gone to a Christian church once in their life. Their dad or mom or grandpa was a Christian, so they call themselves Christians. Barnum, on, his, on one of his research, uh, says he thinks that the actual population of the true Christian, evangelical, born-again Christian is 50%, and I think he's way too high. I think it's much closer to probably 10% maybe 20% of the population being true Christians that would actually live a biblical world standard and accept the Bible as absolute truth and that Jesus Christ died. Because most of the world who says they're Christians don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, didn't believe that he lived a perfect life, does not believe the Bible is absolutely true, doesn't believe that Christianity is the only way to heaven. So right there tells you that most of the population aren't Christians. I've seen people who go to church all the time actually get saved realizing they don't know God. They've been a good person all their life. Satan is actively working at this. This is why there's so much filth and garbage on our entertainment is to draw people into the abominations and away from God and to accept the abominations. The real problem with entertainment is when we are being entertained, we generally turn off our rational mind that filters out things we would never accept if we were being taught. People in general will turn off their rational thinking process and just be bombarded with the images because you're being entertained. I'm relaxing. I don't want to think. Psychologists claim that if you take a serious matter and get people to laugh at it, it destroys it. Look at all these sitcoms. are most of them comedies to a sort? And they're all designed to do just that. Get the, get the impressions into our mind without being blocked by our rational thought processes. And if you don't believe me, think about some of the shows you wa that you watch and you might think you're entertained. I've listened to people in our church talk about some of the shows they're watching, and I don't comment on it, but they watch shows that are promoting homosexuality, that are promoting affairs, that are promoting making fun of marriage, that are promoting bad activities and they're talking about it and others are sharing that they watch the same shows and is not catching on to them that they're watching stuff that's polluting their brains and i'm not going to stand in judgment of them the bible is going to do that it's taken me years to get to where i'm at when i look at these shows that i used to watch and i thought were entertaining and good and i'm looking at them and going how could i have ever watched this show it makes fun of marriage it makes fun of family it's full of adultery, it's full of all these things. How could I have ever watched these things? So I'm not standing in judgment of people who watch them, but I'm saying we need to be careful. How much are we getting our minds polluted 
And as I've said, if, if you're going to be watching a lot of TV, spend as much time in the Bible to, clear, to cleanse your mind out. If you're going to study things that are from other religions, spend an equal amount of time in the Bible to wash your mind out. Because if you're not, you're going to be affected. It's true, but you're going to be affected by it. Only if you let yourself be affected. You will be affected by it. Let me give you an example. Somebody listens to hard rock or rap music a lot. Neither one of them are worth anything in the, in the lyrics. And you go, why are you listening to that? Well, I just love the music. Well, what about the words? Well, I don't listen to the words. Next time you see them a few weeks later and they're singing the song word for word as it's played. They honestly believe that they haven't heard the words and the words have not inputted in their mind. If you do something often enough, it will get into your mind and soul. The constant repetition makes paths in your mind that you will remember and will affect you. It's the same, it really is the same thing by coming to church and being taught in the Bible study all the time. You come to every service that's open and you have a good Bible teaching and you start reading your Bible on your own and all of a sudden you start thinking in godly terms, not because you're forcing yourself to be changed, but because it's getting into the subconscious level. And when we're entertained, things get into the subconscious level very easy. Entertainment goes to the subconscious very quickly unless we're being very careful. And even then you'll find yourself polluted. I'm old enough now to know the impact that I've seen over the years. I know how things are anti-God's morals and God's laws. The only thing that can really happen from this is as you grow in the way you think to agree with God, the more you will be affected by what you're seeing. When I was in my 20s and my 30s and my, and my 40s even, I accepted all these things. I'm going, well, it's not really that bad. It's not, you know, not that awful. I'm now going back and watching shows that I watched all the time. In the older days, everything had a moral that was to be brought out. I'm listening to a radio show that reads, dramatizes old book. The story I'm listening to is Jessica's Journey. And it came out at the same time that Alice in Wonderland came out. Alice in Wonderland violated every rule of a children's story. It had no moral and it was just nonsense. In the day that it was written, it was a flop. This Jessica's story, which has a great moral line, godly line in it, outsold it completely. I mean, it just blew it off the, off the records. Nowadays, in our day and age, we don't know the story because we don't do morality stories. Our entertainment is not based on morality stories. The whole point is, as people get their experience, they're going to say, can I live with how much this is going against God's laws? And that's between each individual. We know intrinsically that it has to win. We know that good has to suffer and has to have a hard time getting there, but good must win in the end. Why? Because the ultimate story is the story of God and mankind. Man fell. God's going to redeem us. Jesus came to redeem us, even though he had a hard time in between. And all stories that are, that are written that are good follow the path that God established. Otherwise, we intrinsically in, know that something's wrong with the story. 
that goes against God. And whether we want to believe in God or not, there's been a number of people in Hollywood and stuff that have tried hard to make good movies where a, a bad wins. In the end, it never really satisfies. You come away knowing something's wrong. You may not really know why it's wrong, you just know something wasn't right about the movie. Your epic novels have that same pattern. The good character virtually gets defeated you know, many times, you know, is in despair of ever winning, but they always end up winning and redeeming others in the process. Even today's books don't really have morals in it. You know, good wins, but there's no real moral out of it. In most of our entertainment today, the means justify the end. If you, as long as you come out to the right end, it doesn't matter how you got there. That's what most action flicks are all about. The good guy wins in the end, but he uses the same way to win as the bad guys are doing, except against the bad guys and not against good people. You know, and, it's, and it says, okay, even though you use the wrong means, I got to a good ending, so it was a good moral. No, that's not what God says. That goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning. If we're rejecting God's way, we can't turn to him and say, God, now listen to me. Now, I've been doing all these wrong things. Now, you know, I came to a good, you know, good, but I did it all the wrong way. Believe me, I used to, I used to really love the adventure flicks, you know. I, I loved watching the, the kung fu movies where the guys kick the butts of the, of the enemy, you know, bad guys, you know, using their tactics and everything, but there was never a consequence for doing the wrong activity to get to the, the win. <laughs> okay, in the scriptures, there's always a consequence for doing the wrong thing. Even if you get to a good ending, there's a consequence. Verse 5, thus saith, uh, and saying to him, Thus saith the Lord God, In the day when I chose Israel and lifted up my hand unto the seed of the house of Jacob to make myself known unto them in the land of Egypt, when I lifted up my hand, saying, I am the Lord your God, in, that, in the day that I lifted up my hand unto you to bring you forth out of the land of Egypt into the land that I had despised for them, flowing with, with milk and honey, which is the glory of the lands. So let's look at this. It says, okay, God is now going to give them a little bit of history. <laughs> you know, they know their history, but he's going to go back and he's going to give them some history. It goes, in the day that I chose Jacob in the land of Egypt. All right, so this goes back. He chose Abraham while he was in Ur of the Chaldees, brought him into Canaan. He chose Isaac after Abraham and says, this land is your land. He chose Jacob. Jacob has a few sons finally to, to, build, to start this. And then he sends them into Egypt where they're going to stay from the point that Isaac is born to the time they come out, 430 years that they're going to spend in that Egyptian area. So they're going to spend four generations in Egypt. And he says, when I called you out and I made you known, and I lifted up my hand saying, I am the Lord your, your God. And if you have a King James Bible, the I am is in italics because basically he said, Yahweh, I am. I am God Jehovah, uh, God uh, uh, Elohim. So he says, listen to me, follow me. And he's saying here, I did this, and he says, I lifted up my hand to bring you out of, the, out of the land of Egypt into the land that I had studied for or searched for. 
And he says, I lifted up my hand, and we know the story of how he brought him out, the 10 plagues and the, the, the Red Sea crossing and all of that, brought him to a land flowing with milk and honey. And I love this, which is the glory of the lands. And glory here is the splendor, the beauty. God has got some desire that the, that land is special to him for whatever reason. He says, it is the glory of the land. It is the best. And we're seeing even in our day and age, Israel is being restored to the glory that God had it in the first place. It is the breadbasket, that little tiny country feeds all, of, feeds all of Israel and Europe from just that one little country. It is super productive in, in, in its uh, produce. And it grows everything. Anything and everything grows there, it seems. And God says, it is the glory of the lands. And it's going to be fought over. Satan knows how, how much God has a value placed on it. And he wants to keep it from being returned completely into peace. But it's an amazing place that God says, I sent you into this land. And it is the glory. And it said, verse 7, Then said I unto them, Cast you away every, every man the abomination of his eyes, that a, and defile not yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not hearken unto me. They did, and they did not every man cast away the abomination of their eyes. Neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then said I, I will pour my fury upon them and accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. Okay, so he says to them, you're to cast away the abominations from your eyes, uh, cast away every man the abomination before his eyes. And basically he's saying when we see those abominations, we're to get rid of them. Not say, well, it's just a little bit. Just a little bit. When, when I was a young man, I heard this story on the children's uh, radio hour, and, and they were talking about the kids saying, well, God, uh, Father, it's just a little, little, little sin, you know, a little lie, a little, little this. So the father made them some brownies. He says, I've got some wonderful brownies for you. He goes, they have just a little bit of dog poop in it, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Would we consume something that we know has just a little bit of something we don't want to eat? Has just a little bit of arsenic in it. Just a little bit of rat poison in it. We do this all the time with God saying, God, it's just a little bit of sin. It's not going to be that bad. It's just as de destructive to us in a little bit over a long period of time as a huge dose of it would be. And he says, cast your, all the abominations from your eyes. Job said, I have made a covenant not to look after a maiden with lust. He decided he wasn't going to do it. Now, that doesn't mean he probably didn't have some desire hit his mind when somebody was seen, but he had said, I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to commit this area of activity in my life. We are new creations in Christ. We should live righteously and have the power to live righteously because we are a new creation. God has worked on crucifying our flesh. If we make the choices to live his way, we will become more like him and be like him and can live perfect. The problem is we won't allow him to do it. We won't allow, and we'll hear things like, well, I just couldn't help myself. I've just got this sinful nature. You know, and I've heard it all the time. 
Maybe, maybe I've even said it a couple of times in my past. Instead of agreeing with God, God, I, I really sinned. We go, well, I just have this sinful nature, and we excuse it. God says, put away every abomination for your eyes. Defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. Defile. Make yourself impure. And this defile literally means religiously, ritually, and sexually. Because when he talks about idols, idol worship almost always involved sexual intercourse. It was just the way that things were done. And still is to this day, many of the idols that we worship involve defiling our mind at least sexually if not in actuality and God says I am the Lord your God it says in verse 8 but they rebelled against me <laughs> they were disobedient they would not hearken to me they wouldn't listen and, and obey they did not every man cast aside their abominations from their eyes okay they didn't get rid of it and the logic would have been well it's just a little thing God I mean it's just a little idol sitting in my in my house I'm not doing anything with it do you realize that one of the problems with gossip is if you listen to gossip and you hear something negative about somebody, whether you believe it or not, you may not believe it and you kind of say, well, I don't believe this, and you throw it away. But it puts a seed of doubt in your mind. And the next time you hear it, it's like, oh, this is the second person that said something. I still don't believe it. It doesn't sound like this person. But now you've got a larger seed of doubt in your mind. And by the time you've heard it three or four times, whether it's a lie or the truth, all of a sudden you start, well, enough people are saying this, uh, and then we get into this where there's smoke, there's fire mentality. You know, well, all these people are saying it, maybe there is something there. We've got to avoid even the little things that go in. I'll have people go, well, pastor, you need to know this about this person. I don't need to know anything about anybody. God says, no, no man after the flesh. If they're sinning, they'll either bring it to me for counsel or God will deal with it. If I see something in their life, I want to pray for them. I don't need to be telling others about what they're doing. I don't need my mind polluted about what people are doing. I have enough trouble coming up with my own strange ideas of what they might be doing. I don't need to be polluted, and we don't need to be polluted in our minds. And this is what he says, put away the abominations. And, for, and it says then, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. This has a quite an interesting point. We think of the Egyptian, of the Israelites going to Egypt and worshiping God while they're in Egypt. According to this verse, they did not do that as a group. Were there people that worshiped God? Probably. Did the majority of them worship God? Sounds like they were worshiping the idols. And we saw that over and over. First thing they did at Mount Sinai, make us a God. We want to worship the God. All through the wanderings, we, they kept going into worshiping the gods. They had a proclivity to go worship the gods. Why? Because they'd spent generations in Egypt worshiping the idols, being infected. Why? Because that's what went on in their civilization, idol worship. And God says, I'm taking you out of Egypt. Do not worship the idols of Egypt. And by the way, don't worship the, the idols in Canaan that you're going to go into. And they fell right into the worship of the idols in Canaan when they got there. Because they didn't follow God's rules and destroy all the idols. And then they just kept having this desire to worship idols. Satan kept tempting them to do that, right? The thing we want to remember all the time is we do not need Satan's help to sin. 
and do the wrong thing. He can put a little prick here and there. He can do a little prod. But we have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Because we are sinners and we have a sin nature, we will by nature, without the strength of God coming in and crucifying the flesh, we will sin. Not we might sin, not we can sin, we will sin if we're not living in a crucified flesh with God giving us the strength, giving us his, his life. How do we get that? We get into the word. We spend time in fellowship with God. We, we, we worship him. We, we pray with him. We get into him. We study. We listen to messages. And the more we do this, the more our flesh is crucified and the more God will come alive in us and the easier it is to avoid sin because the flesh is being crucified. But if I do not allow my flesh to be crucified and I'm living in my, my flesh, I will sin. Plain and simple. If I don't take my eyes off the abominable things, I will sin because I'm feeding my flesh in that area. And that's what they did. So it is easy to fall back into what you're leaving because you did not leave it completely. And here he's saying is that you did not forsake the idols of Egypt. I told you to forsake them. You did not. And it says, Then said I, I will pour my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. Okay, because they weren't changing even in Egypt. God says, I, I was ready to destroy you. And in, if you remember, all through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God is always telling Moses, I'm just going to destroy him and start all over. A common thread all through this because of God's anger with the people at rejecting his moral standard. God still does that today. There will be consequences for rejecting God's moral standard and to the point of he can take people home early because they will not live in his moral standard. You know, somebody who is truly a Christian and just can't get victory over it because for whatever reason, it will probably be easier for God just to say, okay, I'm taking you home. You won't, you won't let me give you victory. Come on home. And then verse 9 is the last one we're probably going to go into. But I wrought for my namesake that it should not be polluted before the heathen among whom you, they were, in whose sight I made myself known unto them in the bringing them up forth out of the land of Egypt. Why did God not destroy Israel? Because his namesake. He had made a promise. Jacob, your seed will be, be abundant. And God says, because I made a promise and I did not want my name to be stained by this, I did not destroy you, even though you deserved it. God's grace. He gives so much grace and has always given out grace. Don't ever read the Old Testament and think that God is nothing but, but law and anger and, and, and judgment. He shows so much grace throughout the Bible. And this is a great pa passage where we see his grace. You deserve to be punished. You deserve to be destroyed. I should have just wiped you out and started out with Moses and a handful of people. But because I had promised and said I was going to take you out and bring you into the promised land, I did not destroy you. I would not pollute my name before the heathen. Even though you were polluting my name in front of the heathen, I would not pollute my name in front of the heathen. And in, in every sense of the word, most of the Israelites were heathen themselves at this point. They weren't worshiping God. He's specifically talking about Egypt, but he's still kind of talking about them. 
you know, I wouldn't get rid of my name even in front of you. You're not following me, but I'm not going to destroy you. I'm not going to pollute my name because in whose sight I made myself known unto them. He had done mighty works in Egypt. He had destroyed every god. You know, you got to understand that the ten plagues was a battle of the gods in, in a very open sense. Every plague destroyed one or more of the gods of Egypt. Okay, they worshipped the Nile, so what did God do to the Nile? He turned it into blood. There, here's your God, what do you think of it? It's been defeated. They worshipped fish. It, the Nile being polluted killed the fish. He goes, okay, what do you think of your fish gods? You know, every one of these, Ra, one of their great gods, the sun god, was destroyed during the night, three days of darkness. God saying, I'm going to defeat every one of Egypt's gods. And by the, by the way, Israel, you've been worshiping and thinking of their gods. I'm going to show you that I am better than them. They should not have continued worshiping these gods because their god had defeated every god of Egypt. And now we know they're false gods and everything, but God was saying, none of these guys are worth worshiping. Stop. And yet every time they turned around, they were going back to these defeated gods. You know, and it's sad, but we do the same thing, unfortunately. We keep lifting up our gods, our gods of pleasure, our gods of entertainment, our gods of, of uh, lasciviousness and, and, and sex and lying and, all, and power lust and approbation and all these things we have this desire for. And God says, I've destroyed them. Get out of them. And yet we keep going back to them so often. And God's saying, I've destroyed the gods, and I'm only being uh, honoring you because of my word, my word that I can change, my word that, I, that, I'm, that you're my child, that I'm going to protect you because you're my child. His grace to us is only because of what we have been promised. Not because of anything that we deserve, not because, not because God's even thinking that we can do something. It's just his grace that says, you're my child. I'm going to do this for you. I promised you these. I'm going to do this. My favorite verse for uh, all things work together for good according to the purpose, for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Why did it work up? Because of God's purpose. Not because he even wants to bless me. The verse doesn't say anything about blessing me because of everything working out for good. It's for his purpose that his name is exalted that, that he gets the glory because we don't deserve it. And he says, I'm going to still do it. And I'm going to lift my name up by being kind to you. you, know, you know, we ought to get to this point where we understand that we really are worthless in many ways. And, and, and really see ourselves, by the grace of God, we are filled with Christ. And we are made perfect. And we have all these great things. But it's nothing that we do to deserve it. Nothing that we do to deserve it. Okay, even if I've walked with 60 years, 70 years with God, and I am as close to perfect as I humanly can be, I'm still, nothing in me is what did it. It's all God working out of me because he's the one that crucifies us in nature and makes me learn to want to be like him because he changes who I am so that I am more like him. And the more I get like him, the more I realize that I don't deserve anything that I've got. Because I realize that it's not me doing all the good stuff that I'm doing. It's him that's changed me and coming out of me. And it's very important for this, 
for us to understand this. And we're, we're going to stop there because I don't want to start the next, uh, the next uh, little section. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us. Lord, we ask that you help us to let you live through us in all ways at all times. Help us to understand how much you love us and care for us and that you are the one that wants to be with to show us your ways. Help us to get rid of all abominable things in front of before our eyes and to seek after you in all that we do. Help change us into a godly worldview and not a worldview of, the, of the, the, this world. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.